Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Mark Gorosh. I'm here with my partner, beat writer at the Free Press, Evan Petzold. And we're here to discuss the week in review and the week going forward of your Detroit Tigers. How you doing, Ev? I'm doing great, Mark. Episode nine already, huh? I talked about back at the beginning, maybe getting to episode two and how shocking that was. We've already made it through nine episodes here. This is exciting, man. We're one away from 10, um, which means we're 10% of the way to 100. I've really been enjoying this so far, man. I, I hope you are too, and I hope our our listeners are as well, because this has been a, a, an absolute blast for me so far, despite how poorly the Tigers are playing. I look forward to discussing baseball with you almost every day and doing this every week. And I just want to say that I was super happy when we hit episode two, which meant that <laughs> on episode one, they were happy enough that they didn't fire me after episode one. So the fact I made it to episode two, everything going forward is sort of uh, like gravy for me. I do want to say that uh, I was debating changing my name to uh, Zach Gorash from uh, Mark Gorash because I just want to be as good as the two Zachs, Zach McKinstry, Zach Short. I thought maybe it would raise my game if we changed my name to Zach Gorash. Hey, I don't think that's a bad idea because if I could change my name to Zach Petzold, I would because I think that that might help my golf game. Zach Short, it, it, just for everybody out there to know, he's like better than a scratch golfer. Um, he's about as good as it gets. And then obviously, you know, from the other Zach, right, Zach McKinstry, you know, we're both central guys. So there's a little bit of that going on. Um, two dudes from CMU. But yeah, I mean, Mark, what's going on with the Zachs in, uh, in Detroit right now? Zach Short obviously helping out doing his part in the doubleheader the other day. And Zach McKinstry, it's why he's earned the Jordan McKinstry nickname from you. He, uh, he continues to rake. It's pretty much nonstop. Um, and over the last week of the season, he's hitting 300 with a 733 OPS. It's, it's not slowing down whatsoever. And then you take a look at what he's been able to do across the entire season so far. He's hitting 271 with a 775 OPS, two homers, putting up good plate appearances. He's moved up to the leadoff spot. If I would have told you, Mark, opening day, that Zach McKinstry around game, you know what? 20 to 25 would be the leadoff hitter for the Detroit Tigers. I think you would have called me crazy, but here he is. I think I would have started taking medicine. I, me too. I, I, I would have had to. I, I, I would have been worried about me and I would have probably had to check myself in somewhere. But here we are. Zach McKinstry, leadoff hitter, Detroit Tigers. Yeah. Last five games leading off. I ride, You know, the one thing I love about A.J. Hinch is he will ride a pony until that pony collapses. So he, uh, if you do well, he's going to give you a shot. So let's look at the week. We uh, Tigers went three and four. Somehow seemed worse, but it wasn't. And they finished the month with a record of 10-17. Do I have that correct? Mm, I think so, yeah. Yeah, 10 oh, yeah, I know coming off of this week, though, yeah, it was back-to-back wins against the Brewers, and then they lost the series finale of that, ga- of that series and then played the Orioles back in Detroit for four more games, which I thought that was weird with the scheduling. I mean, I think that's kind of a, a crummy way to schedule it, probably for both teams. Um, obviously, it buried the Tigers, though, because they were swept in Baltimore, and then the Orioles had to come to Detroit only a couple days later. And I mean, that's, that's, that's like seven games in 10 days, Mark. And yeah. uh, the Orioles obviously win in three or four against the Tigers in Detroit, but you know, you know, who wasn't upset about that? Who? The, the Baltimore, the Baltimore Orioles. Orioles. Yeah. That's right. right. Baltimore right. Orioles. I, I mean, I don't think the Tigers ate lunch too many times this week because all their lunch money is owned by the Baltimore Orioles. They <laughs> remind me of Tampa Bay light. Like like the, the Tampa Bay light version. I don't know if that's true, but it just seems like they don't really make a ton of mistakes. They they burn you when you make mistakes. And they kind of just quietly take care of their business and get the job done. I, I don't know if you see the same thing, but it sure seemed that way watching uh watching these seven games between the two teams. Made very, very few mistakes, never quit, never felt like a lead was safe when you did have one. Yeah, don't think they have very good starting pitching, but it's good enough. It's 14th in baseball. Good enough um, to be the Tigers, yeah. And the relief pitching, they used the same three relievers to close all six victories. 
And uh, one of those guys is off, you know, two of those guys are off a scrap heap. The other one couldn't throw a strike for about five years and now throws 100. And if you recall, he walked the bases loaded and then simultaneously struck out the side one night in the ninth inning. Um, But Baltimore is a good baseball team. They fundamentally play very well. They situationally hit uh, unbelievable, at least they did, against the Detroit Tigers for the last uh, 10 days. And they got some young dudes in the middle of their lineup. Like about, that's, well, they got a, a future MVP catching. Yep. They have a guy that's playing third base that could play shortstop that really isn't doing anything yet for them, yet they're still 19-9, and nine, Gunnar Henderson. They mm-hmm. have a guy playing shortstop they picked up from the scrap heap that is on his way to being, he has one, he's already earned 1.6 war already this season for the first month of the season, Jorge Mateo, on his way to a five-plus war season that they picked up literally from a dumpster. I mean, he was ago. good. He was good last year, Mark. Don't get me wrong. 35 stolen bases, um, but but he only hit 221, and obviously there's some questions about the bat. But this year, he just looks like everything is is clicking for him. I mean, the stolen bases are off the charts. Batting average is off the charts. The OPS is obviously absolutely absurd with the way that he's been doing damage on the baseball. And yeah, this is a 27-year-old, and everything is clicking for him right now and doesn't become a free agent until after the 2025 season. He can play some outfield, play some second base, play some shortstop, can do some things for you, and he's fast as hell. Yeah, he's... He was really good these last 10 days. Just kind of shocks me because he used to be a player that had a lot of Willie Castro in him. And now uh, he's like, uh, you know, a, a five war player. They they raise his walk rate from sub five to over seven. It's 15 bombs now. Fields like a wizard and steals 35 plus bases. So, so that's development, right? Yeah, it's player development, dude. That's what it's all about. And they also have Gunnar Henderson, who could, you know, it's an all-star caliber talent. They got two other shortstops in the minor leagues that are really good. I was One, just going to say, Tigers fans should not go look at their top prospects <laughs> list because they're going to cry. Yeah. So, you know, Elias has done, um, you know, a lot of miracle activity there, very similar to what he learned under Luno in Houston. AJ knows him really well. And for all of you that continuously want to pepper me on Twitter that Chris Illich needs to spend money, the Baltimore Orioles are giving you the middle finger from both hands saying, yeah, right. We don't spend any money. We're 19 and nine and we have five more top 50 prospects coming up. And we don't have a pitcher besides Grayson Rodriguez, who threw his greatest five innings of his major league career. Every starter we have is somebody who you never heard of before. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about player development and execution, developing a style of play and being able to repeat it day after day. As we say here every week, Ev, don't show me what you can do one time. Show me what you can do all the time. So, hey, you mentioned, back- hey, hey, real quick, you mentioned the lack of pitchers in Baltimore. How about Eduardo Rodriguez going back to where it started maybe at some point? Wouldn't he look pretty nice in that uniform? They could use him, man. They they need a pitcher, and we do need to talk about how good he's been because we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. And I think that I would think that he would be very tempting for the Orioles. I think they'd be a little worried that he wouldn't stay, but he's very familiar with the AL East. He's pitched in the playoffs and – well, he's if opting still, out anyway. That's the thing. Right. That's the, you, know, you restructure a deal. But I don't, I don't think there's any question that he's opting out. So what I want to do is I want to at least discuss what was good this week and take a look a little bit about some things that happened this month so people can have a review of kind of, I'll um, use the words post-mortem. I think post-mortem is a good way to look at it. And, you know, so... Some performances that have been very good recently, I, I think you have to give Jordan McKinstry a tip of the cap. Been really good. Currently hitting, I think, 271. His OPS 775. 
Somebody else who's been very good recently, two other guys would be Javi Baez. How about Javi Baez? How well he's hitting the last two weeks up uh, probably over 350 in, in the last two weeks, coming up with a lot of clutch two-out knocks. And for all I criticize him all the time and will continue to do so, uh, Matt Veerling has also been very good, been very good for the month, hitting 284. As a 736 OPS, had some decent knocks yesterday. Actually pulled a, a gap shot to left center off the fastball. I almost fell right off my couch when that happened because I've been waiting for a whole month for, to see him do that. Yeah, kind of like when Riley hit the ball in the air to the pull side that one time in that, in that game, one of the doubleheader. Had some very good swings yesterday, not too many good ones today, although he does figure out somehow how to roll one through somewhere usually once a day. Yep. Really what's impressive about Verling is he is – just been super excellent in right field, although he did have a chance to throw somebody out today. Throw carried up the line a little bit. If it had been a better throw, he would have he would have thrown the guy out at the plate late. But, you know, those three guys have been probably the hottest three hitters of uh, the last week or a few weeks. Jakey Rogers seems to get his really good swings in with two outs and runners in scoring position. He hit another jack today. and Makes it look so easy, too. He really unloaded on that one today. And he, he pimped it a little bit. And if I hit one like that, I'd pimp it a little bit, too. But the, the other thing is, is the team just plays so much better with him catching. But at the end of the day, they're still 10 and 17. It's about a 60-win pace. The starting pitching has been sort of getting spottier as we are carrying on through the weeks. Spencer Turnbull is really struggling to, you know, give them quality, you know, 12. He's only getting 12 outs on most days. He has gotten 15. His earn run average is up to 687. Matthew Boyd is, you know, for what a wonderful human being he is, he's still Matthew Boyd. So, you know, I I have said a few disparaging things. I've called them uh, KK home run. And I, you know, yesterday when McKenna took him deep, you know, he had pitched pretty well to start the game, gave up a four spot, came back, threw two and changed good innings. They really needed him to hold the game in. And what happened? Two-run blast. AJ Hinch, what well, AJ Hinch liked that matchup too, though. He had Jose Cisnero warming, and the situation was if he brings Cisnero in, then they're going to bring Cedric Mullins off the bench, and that wasn't a matchup that he liked. So we figured, all right, let's let Boyd try to go and get McKenna, even though Boyd's pushing 100 pitches there. He ends up throwing 102 in his outing, and and it ends on a really sour note. But that is kind of vintage Matt Boyd, though, isn't it? Like it's you mentioned it, the strikeout, strikeout, home run. You know, we, we've seen that, you know, several times in his start, especially that one in Milwaukee where um, you know, he had two innings that were just like that. It was it was strikeout, strikeout, home run to straightaway center field, and then end it with a strikeout. And that happened twice in Milwaukee. And then obviously just the way that it ended against the Orioles. Yeah, that was frustrating to see. That's not, that, that's, that's not what you want to see uh, from Matt Boyd, especially as he's pushing 100 pitches and, and trying to finish the job. I understand the reasoning and I understand the rationale for leaving him in. Although, of course, fans on Twitter, you know, they weren't really happy with it. They wanted, you know, AJ to go to Cisnero. But again, I don't really know how great I feel about Cisnero facing Cedric Mullins, you know, because obviously High's just going to go to his bench there. And Cedric Mullins, we know what he can do. And we also know how Jose Cisnero has struggled against uh, against some left-handed hitters. So it's it's really kind of two negatives and you try to try to take the best possible outcome. And I think AJ did that in that scenario. But you, know, you can only help yourself so much, and that's that's kind of something Matt Boyd has done quite a bit in his Tigers career, giving up home runs. I, you know, personally, you know, listening to AJ today and a little yesterday, I think he's a little frustrated with a few things. Doesn't know exactly who he can depend on, and you know, the last time through the rotation went through real well. Eduardo, and we can talk about Eduardo again. Just Cy Young caliber just a master class in how to attack hitters, throw strikes, have quick innings. And it, it's been really a joy to watch them. So take, take a, take a guess at his ERA over his last four starts. 
Over his last four starts? Last four starts. Since I'm not looking it up, I'm going to say... Wait, let me take a guess. I'm going to say his ERA over the last four starts is 0. 0.48. 0.68. It's pretty mm. damn close. But look, but look, I mean, four starts, 26 and two-thirds innings, three walks, 24 strikeouts, a 0. 0.68 ERA. 178 opponent batting average. I mean, the, the, the dude has been absolutely dealing and carrying the load. What sucks is that in those four starts, the Tigers have only won two of those games. And the one and one of the games that they did win, they won one nothing. And, you know, the games that they lost, they lost by one run. So he's been doing everything that he needs to do. He's been he's been doing his job. He's setting the example for the rotation. He's somebody that I know we've talked about this too, that you would love Matthew Boyd to take a peek at and you know, try to replicate just as best as possible. Now, a lot of that comes from just pounding the zone and not being afraid, right? Because you nibble and you're going to end up getting screwed. That's the thing that stands out to me is, is the three walks. And two of those walks were in his last start here in his most recent matchup against the Orioles. Coming into that start, only one walk in, in that stretch. So he's been throwing strikes, filling up the zone. It's a perfect example of what happens when you have conviction in your stuff, you trust it and you sequence well and you, you trust your catcher and you go with what you got and you just kind of kind of go to work, get it done. That's that's how Eduardo is. It's it's a beautiful thing to watch. Okay. You know, at this point in time, obviously it'll be interesting to see. We got a long way to go, but you know, by far the best player, player of the month for the Tigers, not even close. Easily. Not even close. As far as what hitter would qualify for player of the month, I hesitate to give out an award and I don't think anybody's done enough to deserve an award from a hitting standpoint. I mean, heck, how, you, how, how about Zach McKinstry? I mean, look, he's gotten a couple of hat tips from me now. He's gotten an apology I, I, from me I, now. Yeah, I, I don't. I think that if I was going to give it, I'd have to give it to Veerling before I gave it to McKinstry. To be honest with you, he's had True. more bats, and I actually weirdly think Jakey Rogers would be in that mix a little bit too. But you know, actually, Nick Maton leads the team in both both homers and RBIs at the same time. He had a couple knocks the last few days. His average is up to 172. So <laughs> there's some issues there, and I think some growing pains were to be expected. But holy smokes, I mean, you know, you're getting up over 90 at bats now, and hitting 172 is pretty difficult to stomach, especially when you're hitting four or five all the time. It's, I mean, knock on wood, he's had a pretty decent amount of walks, but. Just going to have to do across the board a lot better from an off offensive standpoint. It's just a really, really difficult watch to watch their runners in scoring position averages. The amount of you know the other night they they score seven. They they have four. They're four for six in you know runners in scoring position in the first four innings, and then proceed to go zero for eleven the rest of the game. It's it, you know, can you just execute for an entire game? It, yeah, it's very, very frustrating. Well, we talked about that, Mark. That was game one of the doubleheader, if I'm not mistaken. And I mean, that's a game where, you know, the Tigers were up early. Um, they took a three nothing lead in the first inning. And after the third inning, they ended up having a five to one lead. And you thought, all right, like, you know, they're in pretty good position. And then they just kept putting guys on base. They kept the pressure up. And you look at the end of the game and the Tigers were in a situation where, you know, they, they had a chance to lose that game down, down there at the very end. And in my head, I thought, man, the, the Tigers should have 10 runs, 12 runs, 13 runs right now where they're at. And they, they scored seven, but they got 16 hits. And um, and look, man, when, when you have 16 hits and you have as many walks as they did, and it, it's, it's, it's almost like inexcusable. And that's kind of a product of, look, you're four for 17, but, you know, the, all those four hits, burners in scoring position came early and then you stranded a ton late. That you should have put the Orioles away in that game. Am, am I not? Am I not wrong? You're not wrong. But at the same time, let's talk about something. Their walk rate is up to eight point three percent, which it's been a long time since it's been this high. Their bats have been much better. You know, understand that their walk rate last year was under under seven. So, I mean, that's a pretty substantial improvement. I'd have to look up what their average pitch per plate appearance is, but it's also got to be a monstrous improvement over last year. 
you know, the so what they have done is improve the quality of their at-bats, but what they have not done is get the payoff for those at-bats. So, you know, I'm not really sure when or if that's going to happen, but I haven't, I think I tweeted yesterday, it's been quite some time since I've seen a team miss so many 92, 93 mile an hour fastballs, middle, middle. It's at some point in time, you got to start, you know, squaring a few of those up. I mean, Akil Badu is now, you know, 90 at bats into a season. He has zero barrels. He's got five barrels in his last 270 at bats. I mean, these are the performance metrics of guys that do not belong in the major leagues. They'll be very blunt about it. Here's something interesting, Mark. I, I actually had to go pull up an old article that I wrote um, from this past, you know, off season, and it was looking at since 2018, which is the first full season of Alavila's rebuild. Um, the tie, the, we haven't said his name much in this podcast at all, but um, no, going back to, to 2018, from 2018 to 2022, the Tigers ranked 30th in walk rate at 7.1 percent, 30th in strikeout rate at 24.7 percent, and 30th in chase rate at 35.3%. They also ranked 29th in isolated power at 0.141. So that kind of gives you an idea of, you know, what it was like for, you know, what was that, five seasons of terrible baseball compared to kind of, you know, some of the better products in the field that we're seeing. Now, look, they aren't doing damage with runners in scoring position. They aren't even, you know, hitting their singles when they need to with runners in scoring position. That's not happening enough. They're stranding too many runners. I get it. But I do think overall the at-bats are better. I mean, I just read you off those numbers. And that that's a long stretch of really, really bad baseball. And the walk rate has been up. The strikeout rate has been a little bit better. They're not chasing as much. You have a guy like Javi Baez who's um, cutting down on some of the strikeouts, which has been been pretty impressive. Ever since he got benched back in Toronto, he's looked more focused and locked in. I still think there's some power problems on this team. But at the same time, just the general quality of the plate appearance, aren't you more encouraged by what you're seeing than you were for the last five years? Yes. And that's what matters, I think. I, I, I think that matters a lot more than maybe people are giving the Tigers credit for. And I understand you're frustrated because you want to see more wins. You want to see a team that can be competitive. You want to see a team that's going to be able to, you know, maybe take three or four against the Orioles as opposed to losing three or four. But I think it goes back to the quality of the plate appearances and I think that's a testament to some of what Scott Harris um, has been able to accomplish so far. So I think you kind of got to tip the cap to that a little bit while still understanding that the product in the field does need to be better and it does need to improve. I, I think two things can be true. All right. So we're going to take a break. I got a couple things I want to talk to you about on the other side. We'll be back in a minute. So. I want to not belabor this too long because it's, you know, been 73% of our podcast discussion for the last eight weeks. But I think everybody's pretty frustrated that we're not seeing more more production from Spencer Torkelson or Riley Green. So I thought about it for a while today. I decided to try to bring up a couple of comparables, we'll call them, because I think people need to understand including myself, how difficult it is to hit in the major leagues and sometimes how long it takes before you can start showing consistent improvement. I thought Riley's swings yesterday showed some progress about what some of the problems are. And you wrote a long article this week about his inordinate, repetitive problem of pounding everything to the pull side into the ground where almost 80% of the time when he pulls the ball, it goes into the ground. But here's, I want to give you a comp for Riley Green and then we'll touch on one for Spencer Torkelson and then we'll move on to happier things like Tarek Scooble throwing a bullpen. Um, my comp that I would bring up, and I'm not sure Riley has <clears throat> this much upside, but he, he sure potentially does. And I asked my buddy Brandon Day, at Plushy Boys, what he thought of this, and he always loves to argue with me and tell me why I'm not right. But, you know, my comp for this used to be Jim Edmonds, but really they have a much better comp that used to be a Tiger from not too long ago, and that is probably Curtis Granderson. Curtis Granderson had a lot more time to develop. He was 23 years old the first time he took an at-bat into major leagues, he played college baseball, 
just had a lot more time to mature and understand what he did and how he hit. But he walked a decent amount. He for sure had extra base power. Brandon told me how much faster Curtis Granderson was than Riley Green. And I took a look and Riley Green's in the 88th percentile for speed this year so far on Savant. So we could argue that. But the bottom line was Curtis Granderson got his first appreciable at bats as a 24-year-old in 2005. And he hit 272, 314, 494, had a 113 WRC plus. His first full season was at 25 years old, which would be four years from now for Riley Green, who is 21 years old. And that year, Curtis Granderson had a 9.7% walk rate, hit 19 dongs at 25, hit 260, 335, 438, and a 99 WRC plus. He was a four war player. Now he was 25. So they both played center field, both pretty quick, both had some power, both like to walk. You think Riley Green will be a four-war player by the time he's 25 years old? I think it's an interesting topic. I think it's an interesting point. And I do think it's a it's, it's a fascinating comp. The only thing that I would say is, is just from a pure expectation standpoint, you know, Curtis Granderson, obviously a prospect that people knew about when the Tigers drafted him, someone that was a big deal coming up, um, of course, but you know, Riley Green was the number five overall pick, right? And I, and I think that's something that um, Tigers fans are maybe a little bit more frustrated about. Curtis Granderson was drafted in the third round. Riley Green's the number five overall pick. And people are wondering, and I, I think this goes for both, Tor- both Torkelson and Green, where is where, where's, where's our Julio Rodriguez? Where's our Adley Rutschman? By the way. And I think that's a fair question. I looked that up ahead. today. T- Julio Rodriguez is currently hitting... 230. So my, my point is, is, and I say this a lot, hitting in the major leagues is really difficult, really, really difficult, especially now where starters only throw five innings, relievers get 12 outs, and you're just seeing a parade of high-end stuff for the last 12 outs. And we'll, we're going to have a segment called Last 12 Outs, but Look, I'm not trying to say that you're wrong about Julio Rodriguez, but I do. I mean, look, the guy was the AL Rookie of the Year last year. He had 28 home runs, and he's off to a slow start this year and and, and still has five home runs. Look, I mean, the guy still has five homers um, with a handful of doubles that he's chipped in a triple as well. and, and And I get it. I get your point that he's off to a slow start, but this is also the guy who was Rookie of the Year, got MVP votes, and was an All-Star last year. And neither Spencer Torgelson or Riley Green have any type of you know, and anything to lean back on in that sense. Like they, they haven't really done anything yet. If you really think about it, like if you really think about it, they haven't done anything yet. Whereas Julio Rodriguez, I can, I can look past him, you know, getting off to a rough start this season and it's been 27 games. It's been a hundred at bats. Okay. That's fine. But for Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, I'm looking at it like, okay, this is like 500 plus ABs and it's kind of been what Julio Rodriguez is doing so far this year, only worse. So I, I understand. I, 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 I understand. No, no, I understand the well, comp. Let, let, let me bring. Let me bring up another one. Ready? Flagerauer Jr. Okay. For first season, uh, fifteen homers, sixty-nine runs batted in, hit two seventy-two, three thirty-nine. 106 WRC plus. Walked 8.9% of the time. He was 20 years old, uh, like Riley Green. Second year was the pandemic year. You like Riley Riley Green over that? No, but what I'm saying to you is... You're saying you like his chances? No, I am saying even the best of young hitters often take seven or 800 plate appearances before they start pounding the baseball. Vlad it's, Jr. hit 15 home runs in his first year as a 20-year-old. As a I mean, he had a 772 OP. Like, look, I, get, I know I get what you're saying. I understand the point. It does take time. I agree completely. You never know when a guy is going to burst out. But at the same time, I think if the Tigers would be getting, you know, 20-year-old Vlad Jr. production from either Riley Green or Spencer Torkelson this year, 
I think you'd be you'd be pretty darn delighted. I mean, that that's a 272 batting average, 15 home runs, and 123 games. I mean, that's pretty good. I understand it's not what he's doing now, which is, I mean, look, I mean, the guy hit 32 home runs last year. He hit 48 home runs in 2021, but he even just show me something. Um, let's 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 not forget that both Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green have been you know pretty underwhelming so far. I mean, for Torkelson, it's 10 home runs and what 455 at bats and 500. That's that's. Yeah, that's not that's I mean I, come on man that's kind of concerning. Riley Green, 7 home runs in some 478 or 480 at bats and that's not counting plate appearances which is the walks as well but I mean I you're taking 15 home runs from either of those guys if you can get it. Tigers haven't even been able to get that. That that's kind of concerning to me. And I understand the comp to Granderson but Granderson's a three-time All-Star, great player across the board. If that's what Riley Green becomes, that that that's a great career. Any, but that's not an elite career. That's not what you think his ceiling could be. And we both know what his ceiling could be. Same with Torkelson. Um, you know, the comparison to a Nick Castellanos might be other, but Nick Castellanos is a one-time all-star. You know, you, you expect more than that out of Spencer Torkelson if you draft him number one overall. So I think from an expectation standpoint, it's hard to make those comps. But again, from what we've seen, that might be the comp. I, I think that Castellanos is a great comp for Spencer Torkelson as a hitter, although Torque will walk more. At the same time, in the last four seasons, Castellanos has had, you know, he's having a great year, off to a great start this year. Yeah, he is. He was not good last year. The year before, he basically played in a field the size of Williamsport, (laughs) but, you know, had like a high 130, I think almost a 140 WRC+. And the year before that, when he was traded, he absolutely crushed it for the Cubs. He was having a decent year for the Tigers and then absolutely was insanely great for the Cubs. My point yeah, like being... 16 homers in some 50 games, he popped right. off. My, my, my point being, though, look, nobody's as frustrated with these two guys as hitters as me. I mean, I'm the crazy one who goes back and slows down Riley Green at bats trying to understand how come he hits every baseball in the ground and I'm not going to bore this podcast with my theories about it, but you know, he's hitting the top of the baseball an awful lot. He's not squaring it and he's not staying bounced through the ball, the whys and what fours I'll leave for Riley to discuss with you in the locker room when he's ready to do that. As far as Torkelson goes, there's something going on above that boy's neck because as great, as his swings were from the second week of spring training until last week, this week, I I just am shaking my head at what I'm watching. It's like what? It's even what just you- been the. I mean, it's been the last even three days, Mark. I mean, they weren't. They were pretty good in Milwaukee. He had he had the he had a game where I think he had five balls in play that were. Um, you know, over a hundred miles an hour, or at least uh, four of them were or something like that. And only two of them ended up going for hits. They were both singles. He, you know, he's hitting the ball hard. He looks like he's squaring things up. He's laying off those pitches that are down and away. He's waiting for his pitch inside. He's getting his pitch and he's hammering it. They're just not falling in. And then suddenly he just lost it. He just lost it. Yeah. The, the, this, this last eight or 10 at bats are as bad as you've had all year. All right. We're not going to talk about them anymore. We've, talked about him more than enough and what i will say is is that it's not unusual to see kids struggle this long at this age and hopefully at some point in time they'll stop struggling all right let's talk about a couple things first of all Tarek scuba threw a bullpen this yesterday through 15 fastballs got the heck out of here it had to be combination of one of the scariest things he's ever done and one of the most exhilarating things he's ever done for anyone rehabbing from an injury. It's pretty weird the first time you get back out there. By the third or fourth time, you're feeling pretty good. You start cutting loose a little bit more. But what'd you learn? I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but uh, give me some of your insights and thoughts about it. I actually saw a pitch that he threw on his Instagram. He put that on um, his Instagram story. So I was able to see one of those 15 fastballs um, that he ripped off. He actually was throwing uh, during the allotted you know, time for us in the clubhouse and with AJ and, and stuff like that. But no, I mean, he was out there with 
Tim Reams, the bullpen catcher, and also had um, the athletic trainers out there with him as well. And some of the teammates even, you know, went out there to watch him throw his first bullpen. And it was just 15 fastballs. He did talk about being pretty nervous, Mark. He talked about like just feeling the nerves. And he said, you know, it was weird that I was nervous, but I think that that means that I care. And obviously he, he does. That was his first time off the mound since August 1st when he was pitching against the Minnesota Twins and exited the game at, at Target Field after five scoreless innings. Everyone freaked out and they thought, oh, are the Tigers trading this guy? Because he was kind of at the center of uh, some trade deadline rumors. And it was, no, he, he's, you know, he's not trading him, but there's arm fatigue and ended up needing left flexor tendon surgery, had that done in mid-August. Now he's finally back on the mound. He's going to throw another bullpen next week. So it's a good sign. It's a really good sign that he's back on the mound and he's getting going again. So yeah, bullpen this week um, at some point, unclear on when that day is, and then just kind of increase his pitches. And it kind of just, in his words, becomes a normal progression like he would in spring training. All that really, you know, all you're really looking for is, hey, how, how does this guy bounce back after each time he goes out there and throws a bullpen? And then how does he bounce back after every time he throws a live BP? And then when he gets to the rehab portion, what does that look like when he's coming off of games? And how is he? How is his body able to recover? Um, so yeah, he threw that first bullpen on Saturday, said on Sunday that he felt really good. Everything felt great. And that was the most important thing to him is that he felt great on Sunday after throwing on Saturday. And I, I think this is somewhat overlooked just because maybe we forget about all these guys who are injured. I mean, look, you know, Tarek Skubal, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, all of them are on the six day injured list right now. We'll talk about Matt in a second, but Skubal was really good before he got hurt last year, a two, three, three ERA in his first 11 starts. And he was just flat out dominant through 21 starts before the injury. I mean, it was a, a 3.52 ERA, 32 walks, 117 strikeouts, and 117 and two thirds innings in those 21 starts. He was a strikeout machine, and he, he looked polished and he looked well on his way. I mean, early in the season, I remember thinking about him being a potential Cy Young candidate. So when he's able to get back and he's able to get going again, I, I cannot wait to see him. Um, just get back into the swing of things. I know sometimes for guys, it takes time to really get that feel back. Um, even once you start pitching in games, but man, once it clicks for Tarek Skubal, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a huge boost to this team. And it's also going to give you a guy that, you know, you kind of like what Eduardo Rodriguez is doing right now. You know, he's that guy last year that you felt like every time he took the ball, all right, we got a chance to win. That's how you felt when you were the Tigers. And you haven't been able to feel that very much outside of, you know, this strong, uh, strong start to the season from, from Rodriguez. But Scooble definitely provides that. It's good to see him back, Mark. Did they give you any timetable specifically, or did Tarek discuss how often he's going to throw bullpens, or did they really not get into the nuts and bolts of what that kind of schedule it was, is? It was funny. Now, AJ Hinch hasn't said anything about that. Um, he basically just defers to the the injury report, which you know doesn't really say a whole lot. Um, it's just a lot of guys progressing. Tarek was actually asked about it, and he kind of looked around and, and maybe tried to find a couple PR people to lock eyes with them, and then uttered some type of of sense that went along the lines of like, "I don't know if they want me telling you that right now. I would love to tell you, but you might have to ask AJ because I don't think they want me to tell you." And uh, and yeah, AJ AJ didn't have anything to say. Look, I I think if I had to guess, because that's all they're leaving it. Uh, they're all, all that they're doing is they're making us guess at it right at this point, which is kind of frustrating because I don't really understand by, by not telling the media not telling your fans, you know, how often Terry school is going to be throwing or what the progression looks like. I don't really know if there's any like competitive advantage there. Um, when the player says that he would like to tell us, but he does, he's afraid that he can't because he's going to get in trouble for saying too much. That kind of leaves me scratching my head, but look, the Tigers can't activate him from the injured list until the end of May. So I kind of see that as maybe like a potential target for his first rehab start, maybe end of May, maybe early June. I I would be surprised if it's that early, to be honest with you, You as as the father of somebody who pitched a pretty long time and had their fair share of arm issues. So should we be be thinking more like mid-June for a first rehab start? I'll, I'll, I'll try to give you at least, my guesstimate and you know to be really blunt about it i'm sure in the next 10 days we'll both get a lot more specific information Tarek will tell somebody or it'll it'll come to light but i would expect if he's gonna you know he's gonna start throwing kind of like 
how you build up starting in January to be able to go to spring training. And then, you know, there's a huge progression. So, you know, anywhere between three and five days right now, he's going to throw a bullpen. So, and he threw one today. I would expect he'll throw the next one Thursday. Maybe he, threw a Saturday, he threw a Saturday. So maybe through Saturday. So maybe Wednesday he'll throw another one. Okay. And then maybe next Sunday he'll throw another one. And as the intensity level and the health level maintains itself, they'll start, you know, it's going to be 15 pitches the first time. It'll be 20 pitches the second time. It'll be 30 pitches the third time. And you're going to keep ramping up. And it's going to be on this three to four to five day interval. And then when he gets to 40 or 50 pitches, maybe when he gets to 40 pitches, they'll say, all right, spin five. Okay. Yep. And and it it's going to take him you know, three weeks just to get to where he's throwing a somewhat legitimate 50 pitch with a few breaking pitch mixed in bullpen. At that point in time, maybe after that, they go, all right, we're going to let you throw a live BP to some hitters. You know, he'll throw a live BP, maybe 20 pitches. The next time, maybe he'll throw 30 pitches and he'll sit down after 15. He'll get up, he'll throw. So I, I don't really expect to see him go to Lakeland or West Michigan and throw a rehab start. It'll be June, you know, middle of June. Maybe then there's no rush. They're going to be. Well, that's true. That's true. There really isn't a rush in terms of getting him back. Right. They're going to be, you know, 25 and 45 or something like that. I mean, there's no reason to rush him. So, you know, do I, I don't really see him starting a baseball game when I really think about it until maybe after the All-Star break. I, I think he'll start in the oh, minor really? in the minor leagues. He'll oh, right, start, right, for sure. But he's going to get three starts at least, in three or four starts in the minor leagues at least. I would assume okay. one in Lakeland and, and at least two in, in maybe Toledo. Two, he's gonna... Maybe he's two two in a ball. Maybe one in Erie. Yeah. Maybe well, another. I don't know one. about Erie. I think they would just jump him straight to yeah to, to Toledo. Toledo. But yeah. my point is, it's it's. It's very possible that they do not, you do not see him start until right after the All-Star break. So that that would be my guess. I mean, I was a little more aggressive in thought initially, but at this point in time, really, what's what's the upside in rushing the guy? Right. It's not like you're competing for something and you need him back and you need him to fill a rotation spot. And, And even then, like, What's the point? I mean, this is this is an arm that you're relying on um, for the future. This is somebody that you're going to need if you want to compete and if you want to be competitive and you want to make that push at some point. You're going to need this guy. So, what's the point of, of rushing him back and none? You know, all hell breaks loose then, right? You just why why even take that route if you can avoid it? I get I get what you're saying. I, I kind of just pinpointed end of May because it made sense to me just based on you know kind of a a quick thought of the progression. But then you kind of mentioned again that you're going back and you're basically restarting like you're you're picking in the ball up for the first time in January, right? And so when you put it that way, yeah, to knock all that out in a month and get back into games in maybe a rehab game in Lakeland, right? At the end of May, maybe that is a little quick, but it'd be nice if the Tigers just told us, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, well, I, know they, I, know, I know they don't know and you, you know, anything can go wrong and you never know exactly when a guy is going to throw, blah, blah, blah. I get it, but... Still, to have a, a general idea would be would be somewhat nice. It goes along the lines of what I said last week, which I'll repeat, which is, uh, you know, look, we're 30 games into it. We've been through spring training. And how many times has the general manager sat down with the beat writers and just shot the shit and tried to give you an idea of what he's thinking, where he's going, what he's doing, how he's feeling? There's a lot of secrets, Mark. That's how it feels. It, it's, it's baseball. It's not, uh, yeah. it's not war games. And especially somebody new to town and, 
the baseball team is not really better. It's different players, but it's not better. No, I mean, it just feels it feels pretty corporate. It feels corporate and business-like and, and all that kind of stuff, which I guess if that's the way that you want to run it, that's the way that you want to run it. But it feels nervous. Mm. That's what it feels. I mean, to me, it, it's, you know, I know PR skills are not required as part of the job, but kind of, especially after you suck for seven years. So it might be good, reassuring to not be so clandestine with, I mean, I had a bunch of nice buzzwords and yes, I can see some of the results, but at the same time to, uh, you know, be a little more transparent and a little more engaging, a little more encouraging, a little more honest, eh, probably not a terrible idea. So that's, you know, people don't like me saying that. My apologies. It's just, I think fans deserve better. They live deserve more transparency, and they definitely, after seven years, deserve better caliber baseball. I mean, this is some painful stuff to watch. Holy smokes, man! It is. You know, we're both baseball connoisseurs. You, you, you have to do it every day as your job, but it's it's a slog. Too many nights. Too many. It's not not good baseball. So. We got one more break coming up. We're going to take it now. We'll be back in a minute. All right, we're back. I want to talk about something really exciting that's coming up. And then I want to take a few mailbag questions that I saved that I think it would be nice if we tried to answer. This week, Evan Petzold from the press box is going to get to do something that's really going to be fun because two Hall of Fame pitchers who both were stars at Comerica Park are going to come back and throw. I think you got Max Scherzer's going to throw on Tuesday and uh, Justin Verlander's going to throw on Thursday. Yep. So sounds pretty exciting. I'm not sure, but Mark Gorosh actually may make an appearance down there. I might want to watch, come watch Ver throw because I don't know how many more times you're going to get to see Ver throw in person. So talk, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, you get, look, man, you get to watch Max Scherzer throw in person. I'm going to get to watch Justin Verlander throw in person. I know I've already seen him quite a bit, but, you know, Miguel Cabrera is going to be on that field too, let's not forget. And I know he's he's really going through it right now, but um, just to respect the greatness and to respect the Hall of Fame caliber, hitter that he is to have those three players, you know, on the field again at the same time is, is going to be pretty cool to see them all, all in Comerica park on the field, um, you know, playing a baseball game, right. And Max Scherzer is as good as it gets. Um, I mean, look, the guy's an eight time all-star three times Cy Young winner, Justin Verlander, three times Cy Young winner, nine time all-star rookie of the year, MVP, two time world series champ. I mean, the list goes on and on for both of these guys who are both just, it just they're as, as good as it gets at their crafts. And, you know, there are two guys where it is, it, they're competitors, but it's also like a, a, it's like beautiful competition too, because it's it's so masterful, um, the way in which they go about it. So yeah, it'll be fun. I mean, it's also interesting storylines too, right? I mean, Scherzer coming off the suspension, Verlander coming back from the injured list and, and from the injury, hasn't pitched for the Mets yet. So he's going to get to pitch for them you know, with the, against the Tigers for the first time. And Scherzer is obviously going to be back in action. It's going to be, a, it's going to be a fun series against the Mets. I, I don't think it's going to go very well for the Tigers hitters, let's just say, but I think for fans, I mean, man, if the Tigers want to sell some tickets, they should be advertising those two. I don't know if that's allowed, but they should, because um, that that'll put seats in the ballpark. That's for sure. It should be pretty exciting. I'm sure both will get pretty huge ovations from the, 11,000 people that'll be in the ballpark. Uh, That's the problem. But I was, I was talking to some of our buddies, and you can see better than anybody, but holy smoke, some of the crowds this week, it looked like there was 473 people there. I, I was just astonished how empty the place was. That's what sucks, so, though. You want to get butts in the seats for, you know, Scherzer and Verlander and, and Cabrera, obviously. You know, I know he's, you know, more of a, a mainstay there, right? And he's he's not going anywhere at the, right now, at least. But yeah, for these two guys coming into town, it'll be interesting to see how many fans out there and how many, 
you know, people in the area and in Michigan are kind of paying attention to this and seeing, oh, I got a chance to go watch Max Scherzer pitch. I remember what the good days were like. I'm going to go watch Dave V pitch. I remember those days. Those days yeah. were pretty fun. And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, it brings back some old memories for me. I, I know for sure. And, and I bet it does for you as well. Hasn't been it like does. that in a long time. Long time, man. Not for a long, long time. All right, let's take a couple mailbag questions. First one is uh, from Ghost of Steve Bilko. What's up, Steve? Uh, he's asking, what do Boyd or Lorenzen have to do to uh, have some trade line value? So my answer would be pitch a hell of a lot better than they're pitching right now, okay? Weirdly, Michael Lorenzen might have some value because people will still give some thought to maybe putting him in the bullpen where he'll I think the same is true for Boyd. I think the same is true for Boyd. I want to let you finish your your sentence there, but I had to jump in and say, I think the same is true with Boyd. I think he proved last year that he can pitch out of the bullpen and that's an easy selling point for him. If he's not, if he's not working as a starter, look, if that's the case, you can still trade him off as a bullpen piece. Uh, I would say what you should be prepared for is getting a Dawell Lugo caliber prospect in return for him. So um, I, you know, not real excited at what the trade return quality is. So, But you'll get something, but you'll get something. Yeah, we'll see. If they keep throwing like they're throwing now, I don't think you're going to get much of anything. Okay. Next Question is from Scott Daniel. Kind of wanted to know when we might expect to see Tarek Skubal. I think I just covered that a minute ago, which is, you know, my guess is I'd be pretty happy if his first start was right after the All-Star break. I expect to see him in the minor leagues sometime in June. Um, And the question will be, what's the stuff going to look like? That'll be also something very interesting to see. And will it still be 97 mile an hour fastballs and a devastating you know breaking ball to go with it that's something we're gonna have to keep an eye on all right uh aaron emerson asked something uh regarding wilmer flores any idea why he's you know struggling so much at erie although he did throw much better last time um my answer to that is Wilmer Flores' velocity is down a good two miles an hour at least, and his breaking ball has not been nearly as sharp, um, and his command has also not been great. So I think it's a question for the player development staff, something maybe Evan Petzold could ask Ryan Garko. Well, and I, I also put our uh, minor league detective, Colombo, uh, Rogelio Castillo on that job to see if we can't get some feedback from a few people about what exactly is going on, <clears throat> excuse me, with uh, Wilmer Flores and why he's uh, struggled early this season. So, one of the top pitching prospects for the Tigers. Um, next question I have is from a buddy, uh, Darren Weiss famous Hollywood actor Darren Weiss, who uh, is from Bloomfield uh, Township, Michigan. Um, He wanted to know, will Mickey hit a bomb before he calls it quits? And I'm going to defer. I'm going to let Evan Petzold answer that question. Absolutely not. I think it's a no-brainer. The the answer to that question is no. I mean, look, I mean, who knows, I guess. I mean, he did have – um, a pretty nice hit in Milwaukee where he hit the ball 383 feet. It was 107.9 off the bat. And it was a pitch that, you know, banged off the wall and he ended up with a single. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it was pretty funny, but look, I, I enjoyed that, that, it, but that, that was, that was his best hit so far all season. And other than that, he hasn't had anything to the warning track. Really? I mean, it, it sure seems that way. I don't think so. I don't think it happens. I mean, the expected numbers are way down. Barrels are down. Average exit velocity is down. Maybe there's enough in there for one, but I'm going to bet on no. Um, I, I bet, I think, I think I put, I think that we asked that question, I think at the beginning of the year and I can get back to listeners. Um, but we did that as part of like a free press, you know, preview type predictions. 
um, that we did. And I, I think I projected one home run for Miguel. So maybe I need to stick with that and I need to stick with the one home run. Um, I think that might be only fair. So we'll go one and I don't know Mark when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to be Oppo. Mark Gorash is going too. I, okay. think he's hit, I think he's hitting two. So um, I also think that <laughs> he's got a disabled list trip coming up here to buy some it's, time. It's bad. It's, it's bad. Scrum ball rate is 64%. I tweeted, heard me tweeted that the other day. It's, uh, it's not good. All right, let's try to get a couple more. Noted Tiger Baseball historian on Twitter, Ify the Dopester. Asking, uh, when will the Tigers stop sucking the life out of their fan base? Uh, I'll take a fast shot at that. My answer is, I'm hoping uh, sometime late next year. I don't, I don't think the fan base uh, getting the life sucked out of them is going to stop itself this year. Not, not the way things are looking. You got, you got any quick answer to that one? 2027 World Series champs. Next question. <laughs> oh, Evan Petzold. He's going to be appearing downtown. He's at, 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 at the laugh store. Um, all right. Well, you know, all I can tell you is, is that, you know, that's it for the mailbag this week. It's, it's hard to dig up a ton of mailbag questions when your team is winning 10 out of every 27 games, it makes it a lot less fun. Um, I wanted to go over quickly. May, you got uh, you got the Mets for three games this week, and then you're going to the Mecca of baseball, St. Louis, and you want to talk about <laughs> some unhappy fans right now. <laughs> I don't know if there's any more unhappy fans in St. Louis right now. They what, about, what, about, hey, what about sending Jordan Walker down? I thought that was a little quick, but... I guess you got to place the blame on somebody, right? I mean, my gosh. I think there was a couple things that go there. That was a, he was a really struggling in the field. He'd hit 192 in like his past 10 games. They have Newpar O'Neill and Carlson ahead of him. No, Not I mean, sure I, no, no, I, I know there were some things with the outfield and he wasn't playing well, but he's a, he's a damn good player. And what look, about if that sir, happened in what Detroit, about everyone sir, would be going down. What about service time? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I would assume Jordan Walker's going to be back here, you know, at some point. But you know, it, yeah, it was. They'll let that clock run, though. They will. It was. Uh, it was a pretty quick hook on them. Then we, you know, you got uh, you got the Guardians, you got the uh, you got the Guardians and the Twins. I know the White Sox are at the start of June. You got Pittsburgh, who's I think. Pittsburgh is like uh, twenty five and two, or no? They're like uh, yeah, it's well, twenty, Mark, it's, Mark, 20 it's and ten. Twenty and ten. It's I funny. Think. It's funny looking back. You got the Mets coming up, and then the Cardinals, and then you have Cleveland, and then the Tigers come back home and they play against the Mariners. And there's an off day on Monday, May fifteenth. And at the beginning of the season, I was talking about, hey, this this first half of the schedule is going to be. This first part of the schedule is going to be so difficult. The Tigers are finally going to get to catch that breather when they play the Pirates at home on May 16th. That ain't a breather anymore. The yeah, way the Pirates baby. Are playing. It's, uh, <laughs> the Pirates are just killing people. I know. People. I know. It's crazy. So, can't stop, won't stop. Um, it can't predict ball. And, you know, when you look at Baltimore and you look at the Pirates, it could have been the Tigers, right? Could have been. Could have been. All right, Ev, uh, we're going to save our new segment, Last 12 Outs, for next week. But uh, good to have you home, and I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing Ver throw this week. I'm hoping maybe I'll sneak down there on Thursday afternoon. I wanted to tell everybody, please uh, rate, share, and subscribe to Days of Roar wherever you listen to podcasts. You can always find it at Freep.com or any article that Evan Petzold writes. I'd like to for sure thank our executive producer, Kirk Crawford, sports editor of the Detroit Free Press, our other executive producer and interim editor of the Detroit Free Press, and Jeanette Delgado, our producer, Robin Chan, who always makes us sound far better than we are. The GOAT. Yeah. I'd like to give a shout out to my grandson, Braden Michael Gorosh, 
I'd also like to give a shout out to my son, Jordan Gorash, whose birthday is coming up at the end of next week. I want to give a special shout out to uh, Michael Steckley, Kieran Steckley's dad, who, as everybody knows, was in an accident, not doing too well. And Kieran tells me he's doing much, much, much better. I'm excited to hear that. So Days of Roar, Evan and myself would like to give a shout out to Mr. Steckley. Glad to hear he's doing better. Hope he gives us a listen while he's recuperating, doing his therapy. And for Evan, this is Mark Gorash, soon to be Zach Gorash. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.